join us if you dare. It's movie night at your drive-in of terror. Each week, you'll hear about one campy movie for a laugh. One terrifying feature sure to scare your pants off. And one kid-friendly scare for the little ones. Or not-so-little ones, needing a little less terror. The show's about to start. Get comfy and sit down in front. Oh, and one more thing. This episode contains spoilers. Consider yourself warm. Enjoy the show, if you're brave enough. Take it away, Shay. I'm Shay, here with my guest host, Eric. Pull on into our Drive-In of Terror for Season 2, Episode 25 of Scare Your Pants Off, because it's movie night. Tonight's fright-filled feature is Friday the 13th. You grab the snacks, we'll kill the lights. How you doing, Eric? Hey, how's it going? I'm doing pretty great. Same. Um, pretty much excited to keep on um, filling in for Tom. Um, as long as you guys need me, I'm happy to to fill in. Uh, been really excited to to be a part of the show at all. So uh, getting to be on this side of it is pretty exciting to me. We're we're both very appreciative of everything you do, like for social media, and because we're bad at it, we don't like it. It's not our thing. Um, but you are you are fantastic at it, at it. So now to have you on the show is it's kind of cool. It's I mean obviously we miss Tom, but it's it's nice having you on for a couple episodes. Um, I'm having fun with it. Good. So I feel like you have a personal connection in some roundabout way, of course. Uh, to your feature today, and I believe it has something to do with Kane Hodder. So you want to talk about that connection? Yeah, absolutely. So um, obviously, not to beat a dead horse, um, little inside joke between Shay and I, not to beat the dead horse, but I, I, I've been doing the social media, um, and I've been promoting it on the Scare Your Pants Off page, but also I've been promoting it on my own personal page. So my friend PM'd me, um, old friend from the old neighborhood, Mike. Um, and he let me know, because obviously I've been showing how much I've been into these horror movies and, and how much the podcast does these horror movies. And he let me know that his brother, who's from right down the street in Middleborough, um, he wrote and produced a movie called Old 37. Um, and it stars Kane Hodder. And it is your classic slasher movie. It is teens doing immoral things and paying for it it is um kane hodder in all his fantastic kane hotterness he is um which sounded like hotterness like he's a hot babe and you know whatever you feel how you feel it's you feel how you feel you're not wrong but uh there was some some great stuff like he plays um this guy, him and his brother run and like they, they have an old ambulance, which is what old 37 was the ambulance number. And they pretend to be paramedics and they show up to calls, they intercept 911 calls and they show up to these people who are in a bad way, people who have been in car accidents, et cetera. And they, they murder them. They straight up just brutally murder people who are helpless is what they basically do. Um, and then, of course, they go after these these kids who are immoral and they do bad things to each other and with each other and all of that stuff. And there's a pretty great scene towards the end where they're where they're through like a graveyard chase. And I mean, it is just it's what it is. It is it is a slasher 
junkyard chase? Did I say graveyard? I meant junkyard. Sorry about that. Yes, it was absolutely a junkyard chase. And, uh, you know, the kids get the, their comeuppance, which is what you want in one of these movies. These, these dastardly kids getting their comeuppance. But overall, it was, a, it was a fun popcorn movie. It was what it was. Um, again, as I mentioned, with most campy movies, they're not, not going to win a lot of awards or anything like that. But it was a fun, fun movie to watch. And it was really neat to have the local connection. Like I said, the brother lives over here um, in Middleborough or lived in Middleborough. And um, it was cool to hear from a guy from my old neighborhood asking me to to check this movie out and let him know how he saw it. And I actually haven't PM'd him back yet to even let him know I thought. I'm just going to PM him and let him know that we talked about the movie on the podcast because I don't think he was expecting that. That's pretty cool. So it, two huge things literally just happened right now. I don't know if you caught on to them. But in a matter of a couple minutes, not only did we get to hear the word comeuppance, which I know has never been used on this podcast before. Uh, and then we also found out that my fiance, Eric, thinks Kane Hodder is sexy. So there's that. He's hotter. He's hotter and hotter every time I see him. <laughs> so it's funny. I had, I love campy movies. I will, I will sit and watch almost any campy movie and give it a go. But uh, I've talked about the dedication I have to Ving Rhames movies, the dedication I have to shark movies, um, I also have that same dedication for a Kane Hodder movie. And uh, while I will tell you the beginning of this movie maybe wasn't my, it took me a few minutes to like kind of warm up to it, but uh, Kane Hodder in action is something of an art form in itself. And, it, and he's amazing. And I love the concept. I love the, I love the wolf in sheep's clothing concept in anything. I absolutely love it. And I don't think it's played with enough. So yeah. honestly, kudos to the to the writer and to the director or whatever, because it's really not something that's utilized enough. And it's such a great thing. And this movie is bloody. It is gory. It is violent. It is every single thing you'd want a Kane Hodder movie to be. Don't yeah. go into it expecting Gone with the Wind or whatever other thing you're expecting here. Go into it expecting a campy very B-ish movie yeah. that's it's, 100% worth the watch because it's, it's everything that every Kane Hodder movie yes, is. It, and that's a, is. that is a glorious compliment. It's if, if you're into that stuff, there's some, some great kills. There's some great gore. Yes. Um, not a lot of intelligent dialogue, but uh, no. there are some fantastic, some fantastic shots of some really cool creative kills. And, and it is, it is pretty cool. I, I have to say that, it's pretty cool. I'm glad my buddy told me about it and I was glad to to check it out. And now I'm super glad to get a chance to talk about it. And if it gets him a couple more views or whatever, that's, that's cool too. Good. Nope. I'm glad to, I'll support anything local too. So. It's... And also I'm glad that you are digging my man Kane Hodder because I have a lot to say about him coming up in the feature segment of the show. You do, you do. Well, I'm really trying to stretch out time here. Because my campy has me wildly uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> this is going to be exciting. For those looking for a laugh, it's time for the campy. So, yeah. Understand that I don't not like this movie. I do like this movie. But, well, are you okay if I jump into my campy now and just bite the bullet? Um, sink your teeth into it. It's... <laughs> 
Okay. So <clears throat> I have, I personally have some discomfort with the proper names of um, private areas. So, such and, as nipples. Yeah, yes. Uh, so, understand that as I am having this conversation, what you can't see is my cheeks are turning red, and that's how I'm going to be for this whole uh, campy movie. Um, I can confirm that. That's true. Uh, I'm going to talk today about Teeth from 2007. If you already know, you know how great this movie is. This movie is seriously fantastic, and it ran me through a whole weird gamut of emotions that I will talk to you about after I tell you about the movie. But basically, it follows a young woman, a young girl, whatever, um, named Dawn. And she is a member of a Christian abstinence group called The Promise. Now, she eventually meets and is introduced to a fellow member of the group named Tony. And, sorry, Toby, not, to not Tony. I'm, for some reason, shining is in my head. So she's introduced to a young man named Toby and becomes interested in him. And eventually, as expected, things get a little hot and bothered. And uh, maybe go to a level that someone in a promise group shouldn't be going to. Now, Dawn does not want to proceed all of the way if you catch what i'm saying here he is all gun he is all gung-ho for it ready to go she wants to stop he however does not take no for an answer now amidst the attack her mitten of squish uh <laughs> i'm gonna use every word but that word until i have to um yeah so her mitten of squish also goes on the attack in her defense, and bites his doodle right off. <laughs> now, and then, much to my um, absurd enjoyment, it, it spits it out, obviously. It doesn't, doesn't actually ingest anything. It spits it out. So that's a funny visual in itself. So yes. Now, Dawn runs away, and eventually it does go back to the scene and sees like a crab um walking on his dismembered schmeckle and that is funny in itself um she did some of her own research she like googled or whatever and was trying to figure out what was going on because she doesn't know what's going on down there she visits a gynecologist because she has googled some things that made her a little concerned and she believes she has what is called vagina dentata last time i'm saying that word <laughs> now when she gets there he confirms it basically but this is how he confirms it he does a normal gynecological exam and uh amidst the exam he decides he's going to remove one of his gloves and proceed with the exam uh assuming that she's not going to realize it's not an exam and uh managing four fingers in there uh inside her hamlet uh it becomes angry and then bites the four fingers that he put inside of her off so yeah um now eventually so now a little time goes by and eventually uh she and a mutual friend of toby named ryan 
um, hook up. They get a little intimate and whatever. And he, amidst it, takes a phone call to which he decides to brag about actually, uh, you know, having his way with her. And this pisses her off and angers her beaver. And it <laughs> and it attacks. <laughs> and it attacks and bites his schlong right off so skip ahead a little bit again her brother's a perverted piece of crap uh also uh decides he's going to have his way with her same thing now this time however you see it shot across and out to the floor you see the whole spitting out thing except for you don't actually see her panty hamster so now that's really basically the whole basis of the story and i know it sounds super cheesy but seriously it's really it's do you at any time see her panty hamster so like <laughs> so here's is the thing. this movie panty hamster free let me tell you so when i first heard about this movie i heard about like the synopsis of it i'm like i don't want to watch that i don't want to see a movie about vaginas like Oh said man. It again. I said it again. But that I was said practically like, conversational. That was fantastic. I said it with like vim and vigor too. I was like, good for you. Um, yes, right? Okay. So I'm like, I don't want to see that. I don't need to see that. I have my own. If I really want to see that, I'll just grab a hand mirror. I don't know. A hand mirror. Hand mirror. So what happened though is I am at the first time I watched it, I would I got about halfway to maybe close to three quarters but not quite that far through the movie where i went from please don't show it please don't show it please don't show it to they're gonna show it right because you need to know what it looks like where are the teeth are they on the outside are they kind of on the inside or are they yeah, like because the where it's cutting them off is pretty far down it's almost <laughs> it's almost at the base now I, I almost picture like a shark's mouth when it opens it up and it's got like the layers of teeth inside a shark's mouth. See, it can't be though because the cut is too clean. Ah. There's still enough of it surgical left. Surgical precision. Yeah, surgical precision. So what I'm going to tell you is no, they never show it. You do end up wanting them to, no matter how you go into this, you want them to show it by the end of it because you're curious. But what I will tell you is that if you Google vagina dentata, there we go. Um, oh, that that almost reminds me of and I know you've not seen this movie, but it almost reminds me of Boogie Nights. In Boogie Nights, Mark Wahlberg plays a young porno guy. Like he didn't start out that way, but that's what he ended up being. And like his claim to fame, he was Dirk Diggler, was his large member. And it got to a point through the movie where you were almost like, all right, you know, I almost need to see it. Um, they do end up showing a prosthetic, which rumor has it Mark Wahlberg still has. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> um, Just but a yeah. little interjection to your story. Sorry. That's okay. That's okay. Um, but yeah, so, but you can Google vagina dentata, and I'm sure you can Mark, you can Google Mark Wahlberg. No, I don't think I'll Google either of those things, actually. Huh? I don't think I'm going to Google either of those things, to be honest. Are you Googling uh, Kane Hodder? Oh, you know, I don't have to. He's already up there. Uh, all right. Well, do you have anything else you'd like to talk about as far as teeth goes? No, like I said, I was just really curious to know if they showed it. Um, I'm not curious enough to give it a goog, but um, 
Well, you can actually see uh, like ancient descriptions and like other like scientific versions of what it actually looks like. You'll never see hers. But oh, you I didn't see, know like, you model. could see ancient ancient teeth vaginas. Um, I still yeah. don't want to see them. Thank you. Oh, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know what? If you don't want to see the ancient sausage wall, it's not my fault. I don't. Not especially if they're zipper closed. True. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I believe. You have the camping movie today. I mean, the feature today. You don't have the camping movie. No, it is at a camp, but it's not. Well, you know, some people would say it's campy, but it's definitely a feature. For those brave souls ready for a fright, it's time for the feature. Yeah, so um, I have um, Friday the 13th. Um, starts off with a movie in, in 1980, and it becomes... Um, the highest body count franchise going. Uh, Jason himself racks up um, a, around 200 kills and he's barely even in two of the movies. So we'll start out just talking a little bit about it. Um, Friday the 13th was originally intended to kind of cash in on the success of Halloween, which is one of Shay's favorite movies. Um, but, you know, the the same concept of teens being teens, uh, you know, being very much into themselves and each other and as a, and, and not so much into their responsibilities, uh, with the exception of Miss Laurie Strode, obviously, who was a very responsible young lady. Yeah. <laughs> Always. Nodding. Always. Um, but in the in the movie you have um it, the 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 storyline goes that a young Jason Voorhees, who's uh physically not like other kids and perhaps also mentally not like other kids. Uh, and his single mom, Pam Voorhees, she gets a, a job as a cook at a summer camp to which she takes Jason with her. Um, the other kids and the counselors at this summer camp are are mean and neglectful to Jason. Um, they bully him, they ignore him so that they can, can pursue other endeavors uh, with each other, as, as, as we say, I guess we're all adults here, we could say sexual endeavors. Um, and there's a point where Jason gets bullied and to try to escape the bullying, he goes into the lake and he presumably drowns, um, much to the dismay of Mrs. Voorhees. And, and um, eventually a killer starts attacking this camp, uh, killing counselors, uh, kids are never really touched, but the counselors are always killed brutally. Um, when people think about Friday the 13th, they think of Jason as, as the killer. And he's the killer in a lot of the Friday the 13th. But Jason's actually barely in the first movie, the Friday the 13th. And I don't want to spoil who the murderer is, even though it is a movie from 1980. Uh, but if we have anybody who hasn't seen the movie... Shay has given me a look, man. She just I wants me to like, tell you. So here it is. This is what I'm gonna say. All right, all right. It's not spoiling. This movie came out in the in the 80s and 1980, frankly, barely in the 80s, on the other yeah. side of the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. All right, you know what? That's fine. So Mrs. Voorhees in an absolute rage, murders camp counselors left and right. Um one of the very most famous murders, and I'll go over some of the more famous people that have been in the movie. Kevin Bacon is, it's a very early movie for him. He is laying in his camp cot after having some 
some fun with one of the other counselors and he gets an arrow up through his neck from underneath. Um, the blood is supposed to just kind of ooze and gurgle, but they couldn't get it to work right. Um, so Tom Savini, who's an absolute legend when it comes to special effects, especially in horror movies, he's squeezing the blood tube to try to make it work. It's making the blood squirt. Made it an absolutely iconic kill, which is cool because it's Kevin Bacon, which at the time Kevin Bacon was nobody, but now, you know, he's Kevin Bacon. Um, and he, he had a pretty extraordinary death in that first Friday the 13th movie. Um, Jason's mom gets revealed towards the end of the movie to be the killer um, and has a head off with Alice, who's the final girl. As they say in these horror movies, um, Alice gets a hold of a machete and decapitates Mrs. Voorhees. Um, we don't know it at this time, but we find out later that Jason has witnessed the whole thing because he actually didn't drown in the lake. He's somehow been living and surviving in the surrounding area, just waiting for his mom to get him. Um, and he finds out that this woman has decapitated his mom. Um, she escapes down to the lake and she goes out into a rowboat and she falls asleep in the rowboat. Um, and then the very end of the movie, Jason comes popping out of the lake and grabs her from the rowboat. And she wakes up in like a mental institution, kind of. It turns out to have been a dream. Um, this particular scene is an absolute direct copy of the final scene of Brian De Palma's Carrie, Stephen King, Brian De Palma's Carrie. Um, they're very open about that. It's not, it's, they basically say that it inspired us to do, we had to do it because you guys did it and it worked so good for you. Brian De Palma saw it. He's like, yeah, I saw it coming, but it worked really good. You guys did a good job. So like, there's no hard feelings on it. It's not like stolen material necessarily, but it's definitely almost a direct like copy of that surprise. The bad guy's dead. No, he's not. And that's that's pretty much um, what happened. I'm going to give you, I can't, the, the franchise is honestly, it's just too big. There's a lot, a lot of movies in the franchise um, at differing qualities including a reboot and the reboot covers like four of the movies to go back to it. Um, so I'm just going to give you a quick timeline of Jason's, um, Jason's deaths and resurrections on uh, the first movie, Jason presumably drowns. He witnesses mom decapitated in the second movie. He finds the girl who kills his mom right near the beginning of the movie. And he murders her. The actress who actually played the woman who killed Jason's mom was supposed to be set up like a Laurie Strode character. She was supposed to be reoccurring, someone who Jason was going to have to face again and again and again. But in real life, the actress was actually stalked by a Friday the 13th fan. And she said, I can't do this anymore. She came back just long enough to be killed at the beginning of the second movie. Um, so she was there for the continuity. And I'm sure she probably got a nice little paycheck from that. But that was the end of her. Um, in the third movie, this is when Jason gets his iconic mask. Up until this point, Jason had just been using a burlap sack to cover his disfigured, disgusting face. Um, and this is where he gets his, um, his iconic hockey mask and machete. Um, he battles. He's believed to be murdered and killed by an axe. Um, but he's got a little bit of life in him, and he comes back to life in the morgue. And, and that brings us to part four. In part four, 
Um, we've got Corey Feldman is in part four as a little kid and he distracts Jason by disguising himself as young Jason. He shaves his head and he gets all kind of slouchy and he actually manages to kill Jason with his own machete and he's actually dead. Like the real person that was Jason Voorhees is actually dead. Um, Tommy goes on to live at mental facilities. He's he only got played by Feldman in that first time. I think three different actors end up playing Corey. Um, I mean Tommy um, through the through the series. Um, in part five, the um, the killer is actually Roy Burns, who's a copycat killer of Jason, um, who was eventually stopped by Tommy Jarvis. Uh, Tommy knows that Jason was buried and he wants to make sure that he can never come back. So he digs Jason up and he puts an iron rod through Jason's heart, at which point lightning strikes it and he is resurrected, which if Tommy just left Jason alone, maybe he would have been, you know, still on the ground and saved a lot of lives, but he didn't, he felt like he had to put a nail in the coffin, so to speak. Um, and that's that's what happens. So now Jason is back to life in more of a like a supernatural form because he's zombie Jason at this point. Um, so in the seventh episode, this was actually originally going to be the Freddy versus Jason, well, Freddy with Jason. There was actually a whole screenplay that involved uh, Freddy Krueger, um, but the rights just couldn't get ironed out between the two movie companies that own the two monsters. So Jason ended up going against Tina Shepard. Um, Tina Shepard had telekinetic powers. She went to Crystal Lake to try to resurrect her dad and accidentally resurrected Jason. And, um, oh, because Tommy drowned Jason, sorry. Tommy drowned Jason in Crystal Lake and then he was resurrected uh, by Tina Shepard. Um, Jason gets loose, kills a lot of people as Jason does. Uh, ends up back at Crystal Lake. Tina makes some sort of an explosion which sends Jason back into Crystal Lake. And Tina's dad, who is somewhat resurrected to a point, like his spirit or whatever, he grabs Jason and drags him back down to the bottom of the lake where he drowns yet again. After that, it starts to get a little ridiculous, to be honest with you. After In, that? No, sorry. I mean, go on. so maybe it was already pretty ridiculous, but we're going to leave the Crystal Lake area um with the next movie jason is resurrected uh by an underwater electric cable as one does um and somehow he finds himself attached to a ferry that's going to new york not a ferry i'm sorry a boat which is called the ss lazarus which is funny because in our last episode we did the lazarus effect and lazarus has a lot to do with resurrection there's a lazarus pit where where different beings have used in different theology to become resurrected um, so the SS Lazarus, ironically enough, is where Jason's on. Jason kills most of the crew and passengers on that boat on his way to Manhattan. Um, and then, you know, Jason's hanging out in New York, as one does. Uh, and he kills a lot of people. And uh, there's some pretty awesome deaths in that one. Jason ends up in the sewers, and he ends up absolutely destroyed by toxic waste. Um, and then somehow ends up back in the Crystal Lake area soon after that. 
Um, so Jason gets blown up at some point by the FBI. And when they have the coroner has his heart, the spirit of Jason convinces the coroner to eat Jason's heart. At which point Jason, yeah, he eats his heart out. Um, <laughs> at which point Jason has possessed the coroner. Um, and it turns out that the coroner now, which is sort of possessed by Jason, goes looking for Jason's family. Um, so he finds family and, and it takes a Voorhees to actually kill Jason Voorhees. And that's what happens. Uh, Jason gets killed by a Voorhees. He's dragged to hell by Freddy Krueger, which sets up Freddy versus Jason. Um, so Jason's now chilling down in hell with Freddy and, uh, the inhabitants of Elm Street are forgetting Freddy. Therefore, they are not having the nightmares they used to have. Freddy's losing all of his power. So he unleashes Jason on Elm Street, um, which causes all kinds of nightmares again. The chaos is attributed to the Freddy Krueger um, lore. So the kids start believing and that's all great. But now Freddy's like, cool, I got my groove back. Let me get rid of this Jason character. Jason does not go calmly into this night. Freddy and Jason fight. They do all kinds of battle at the end of this. Jason pops up out of the lake with Freddy's head and the machete. Freddy is decapitated and you think Jason won, but then Freddy winks and laughs and you kind of know maybe, maybe this thing is not over is what it comes down to. Um, that brings us to Jason X which puts Jason in space. Um, the government has at this point actually captured Jason and they have him somewhat cryogenically frozen when they were trying to freeze him. He dragged somebody in with him and they were frozen. Over the next couple of centuries, Earth becomes uninhabitable. There's an Earth 2 and spaceships going back and forth. A group of kids, a group of people come back down to the old Earth to kind of uh, explore and investigate. They find Jason and this other scientist. They bring him on board the ship. Jason comes alive, kills all kinds of people as Jason does. Uh, they blow him up, but then the ship puts him back together. So now he's like cyborg Jason with like this awesome mask. Um, and then he gets basically trapped by somebody on the ship and, the, and he sacrifices himself to bring him and Jason into the atmosphere of earth two which you know burns them alive incinerates them and that's jason just needed to be incinerated in space basically um for him to go away and that is in a nutshell i'm sure all my details aren't 100 percent spot on because that's a lot of details and i'm sure if you guys want to you could probably go ahead and and comment and tell me where i got things wrong because i may have got a couple things wrong but it was the gist i'm not i'm not i'm not too far off on a lot of the stuff um, I don't know. Do you have anything to add? I have a couple things to add afterwards, but I feel like I've been monopolizing and talking for a long time. I I feel like Pamela Voorhees is amongst the best moms in a horror movie. Right? Because for I get it. I I I absolutely get it. Sure. Who's not going to go absolutely crazy if someone kills your baby? Yep. And it took decapitating her from stopping her. I mean, literally, they had to decapitate her to stop her from avenging her child. Yeah. And yeah. and 
And I like the little, uh, almost the uh, little uh, homage to Dylan Thomas there uh, with um, from his I Will Not Go Quietly poem, which, <laughs> well, because it's all he was thinking about, but that's, I mean, that's a great poem. And then I, it's, I, I guarantee you, um, obviously, I, I believe he died in the 50s, um, but it, I feel like he would never expect to be referenced while talking about Jason Voorhees. And I feel like- No, I'm sure. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that, that uh, this is the last place that anybody who's involved with uh, classic literature would be expecting to be, to be brought up. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, what, what else you got? So we're going to talk about my top three favorite kills. I feel like favorite kills is always something that can be debatable. Um, there's been a few actors. I, I'm, I'm a little mad at myself for not writing down all the different actors that have played Jason, but the most famous Jason, the one that counts, the one that really matters. No surprise, Kane Hodder. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, the top of the show, I talked about Kane Hodder. And uh, all three of my favorite Jason kills are from Kane Hodder Jasons. Um, my third favorite one is a lot of people's first favorite one. It's from Part Seven, New Blood. And Jason drags a girl in a sleeping bag out of a tent and swings her against a tree like he's cleaning a dirty rug. And it is fantastic. He just absolutely smashes her. There's some pretty cool behind the scenes stories. If you ever want to give it a goog and, and, and read about it, there's some pretty cool behind the scenes stories of Kane Hodder actually trying to film that film, film that scene. Um, and for uh, the purpose of ratings, they actually had to make it uh, one quick slam against the tree as opposed to repeatedly beating her against the tree, which is how it was originally written. Um, but actually, a lot of people think that quick, violent slam against the tree works better than if he had to repeatedly swing it. They did copy this in the holodeck of Jason X. Um, he did copy this um, this murder again. And I think he did get a couple of swings on the Jason X version of it. But on the actual one in Jason 7, it's that one hard, violent sleeping bag like a like a like a bag full of pizza dough slam against the tree and that was just that was a cool cool scene that's my third favorite kill what do you think about that kill it might be one of my favorites in horror in general and the fact yeah. that it's it was quite literally made that that prolific because they were censoring it is yeah pretty freaking awesome yeah it actually seemed to the to, to to make it so efficient actually made it almost more brutal while taking out some of the, the gore. Uh, my second favorite Jason kill comes in Jason X uh, when he wakes up in the ship. Uh, he's in a room with a, with a girl, a female science girl. And, you know, for some reason, there's like a sink full of liquid nitrogen, as there would be in any science lab, obviously. Liquid nitrogen just chills out in sinks. Um, so Jason grabs her by the back of her head and um, dips her like an ice cream in hot fudge topping face first in the liquid nitrogen, which completely freezes her head solid. And then he picks her head up and absolutely shatters her head in half. Like, like her, her skull is gone. Her whole face is gone. And she's the image of her half head in the shape that it's in, the broken, frozen, just smash 
like a little kid who comes across like one of those puddles which is frozen over with air underneath it and they crunch it for the pure satisfaction of crunching the ice that's what her face was like it was just an absolute ice crunch satisfactory like this movie was so cheesy and campy but man the kill was so good such a great kill what do you think so yeah the visual of her head is is not one that you ever don't remember because there's never it 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 weirdly shows so much and somehow still being not but it's yeah it's an image you're literally never going to get out of your head because anytime i think of the jason movies and think of the kills yes the sleeping bag i'm all for it but it's her head is something that sticks with you forever so (laughs) yeah it really does and my favorite my favorite personal and this is i haven't seen anybody else list this as their favorite it usually makes the favorite list but this is my absolute favorite is in part eight jason takes manhattan jason is at the top of a building and the kids all run this one guy decides he's gonna take on jason he's like a golden gloves boxer or whatever it is he thinks he's tough and he decides he's going to take on Jason. And Jason stands there and lets this guy punch him in his body. For some reason, he punches him in his hockey mask, which is not the brightest thing you could do. But he literally, Jason lets this guy punch him for like a minute and a half. He literally punches himself out. And Kane Hodder has said behind the scenes, so when he filmed this, he told the guy, listen, don't hold back. Just punch me. Just punch me as much as you can punch me. And you know, from all the different angles that this film has been shot, that's how many punches Kane Hodder took. Like, like this wasn't a different, this wasn't a stunt man. This was Kane Hodder. This was Jason Voorhees himself. Kane Hodder standing on the top of the roof, letting this like somewhat well-built dude who knows how to box i mean he's throwing punches like he knows how to throw punches he's not throwing punches like some guy who got mad in a parking lot at walmart and didn't know how to fight like this guy knows how to throw punches and kane hodder's just standing there letting him punch no reaction just letting him punch him until he's exhausted and then this boxer looks at him and he goes all right man your turn take your best shot like he's He's mouthing, he's talking crap the whole time. Absolutely cocky. All right, Jason, I'm going to, and then at the end, he's like, all right, man, go ahead. You got this. Just take your last shot. Jason one punches this dude. And I don't mean he knocks him out. He knocks his friggin' head right off of his body. It goes down off the side of the building, rolls down an alley and ends up next to like a trash, a trash dumpster, a trash barrel or something. And it is the most satisfying thing because you're not supposed to root for the bad guy, but you do. You root for Jason. And this guy had the balls to stand up to Jason and punch him for a minute and a half. And then just one punch, like effortlessly, Jason knocks this guy's head clear off his body and it rolls down the street in the most hilarious fashion. A still of that exact scene with the head should actually be taken and put in the definition next to the definition of campy in whatever dictionary it might be in because <laughs> it is it, and it's fantastic that's not me putting it down there no camp has a spot it does yeah. it absolutely does and what better place to be campy than in camp crystal lake right so, than in camp crystal lake even though they were in manhattan at that point but yeah, uh, well, yeah. yeah 
they were in Manhattan at that point. As I mentioned before, it gets a little ridiculous when they start leaving the confines of Camp, Camp Crystal Lake. Um, but it's pretty cool. Uh, I got it. Oh, sorry. I was going to put down. Um, so as I mentioned, uh, Kevin Bacon was in part one. He took an arrow through the neck. Uh, Crispin Glover was in the final chapter. Uh, Crispin Glover is maybe most famously known as Marty McFly's dad in the Back to the Future movie. Um, he gets a sexual prowess questioned, and then he gets to nail a couple of camp twins. Uh, and then he eats a cleaver right in the face, and that's how he dies in the final chapter. Um, the aforementioned Corey Feldman plays a young Tommy Jarvis. And he gets the pleasure of killing Jason. That's that's pretty awesome. Not a whole lot of them get to kill Jason. Uh, Kelly Rowland from uh, Roland from Destiny's Child fame. Um, she's in Freddy versus Jason. And she teases Freddy. She, she tells Freddy that he's got a small penis. Um, she questions his sexual prowess. And she's just overall mean girl and our boy Freddy Krueger. Uh, before Jason comes out of nowhere and kills her with a machete. So that's when Jason and Freddie were still working together. And uh, yeah, Kelly Rowland was standing up to to Freddy Krueger and, and Jason let her have it. And the other big star was uh, Jared, Jared Padalecki. He was in the, re the reboot um, and he gets to kill a presumably dead Jason. I'm sorry, he gets to push a presumably dead Jason who turns out not to be dead. Uh, into Camp Crystal Lake, he and, and he, him and his friends do get away. So Jared Paladecki does, um, he does survive. He doesn't get to kill Jason. Those are the big stars. There's other guys too that um, that are known for like WB shows and stuff like that that are in a bunch of the different movies. But um, it's pretty cool. Like I said, Kevin Bacon was an unknown when he did when he did Part One, and you know now he's Kevin Bacon. I mean he's he's doing cameos in Marvel movies. He's Footloose. He's he's you know all these great movies he's, he's what five degrees of kevin bacon or whatever it's called that we like to play sometimes um but it's pretty neat i mean he he really got a start in this movie um aside from that i just got a couple of extra facts that i want to throw out there that i found interesting into this um we talked about how the sleeping bag scene had to be kind of settled down um the whole part two of the friday the 13th franchise had to actually be gored down um, because the censors were actually upset with themselves with how much gore they let get through um, from part one. So basically, like the censors, uh, uh, they, they approved part one. And then they were like, wow, we may have let too much go through. So they made them gore down. Um, part three standards really, really came down on them. Um, Harry Crosby, who is Bing Crosby's son, was cast in the first movie. And uh, he was trying to make a go of it without the nepotism of being Bing Crosby's son. Um, and that was actually compared in some ways, as I mentioned before, the movie was pretty much inspired um, with the success of Halloween. And um, Jamie Lee Curtis is the, is the daughter of Janet Lee from, from Psycho and Tony Curtis from everything. Um, <laughs> he, Tony Curtis is in a lot of stuff. Um, and so they, you know, there was a lot of similarities. They were talking about like, well, geez, you even went out and hired this star's kid and the, the, the people who marketed the movie were like, oh man, we, we actually probably could have marketed that. We didn't even think about that. This is, uh, 
uh, Bing Crosby's kid, which is pretty neat. Um, so that's it. Oh, Betsy Palmer, who plays um, Pam Voorhees, uh, she didn't want to do this movie. The only reason she did this movie was because she desperately needed a new car. Um, when she read the the script, she said it was crap. Uh, she wanted nothing to do with the movie. Uh, she since obviously has come around on it. She she was on set for 10 days and she got paid $1,000 a day. Um, and Betsy Palmer was actually only on screen for about 13 minutes. A lot of her scenes were actually shot with a male stand-in. Um, because they don't want you to know it's a woman. You know what I mean? You're not supposed to guess it's Jason's mom until until the end of the movie. So uh, she has said in the past, um, when she's doing these comic cons and horror cons, Tom can probably attest to that because he's done stuff like that. Um, she'll say, oh, I don't know who this guy in the hockey mask is. My son drowned when he was 11 years old in Camp Crystal Lake. I don't know who this hockey mask guy is. Um, so she plays the part now. She's a good sport about it. But at the time, she really didn't like the movie, didn't want to do the movie. And she really did it for a little bit of money. Um, and that's that's really what came down to it with Betsy Palmer. But um, unless you have anything to add, I think I've talked long enough. Well, I, I wish. Um, so she passed away in 2015, I believe. And I wish that uh, I wish she was one of the people that I got to see in a, in a horror con just because mm -hmm. she's so. I don't know. She's, she's very prolific in the whole genre, obviously. Um, I think another thing I want to add, too, is because obviously this is a very Kane Hodder heavy episode. I, I feel like it's worth mentioning that if you love these Jason Voorhees kills, uh, you have to also watch Hatchet. Watch the Hatchet series. They are bloody. They are gory. They are brutal. They are fantastic. There is uh, one kill in the Hatchet series where Kane Hodder uh, he plays Victor Crowley, uh, uses a belt sander in a girl's mouth. So it's, nice. it's fantastic. Just, it's another, it's another franchise. Or, I think coming yeah. up in the, uh, in the social media, I think I'll do a Kane Hodder yeah. whole thing alongside with the, with the actual Friday the 13th promo. I'll, I'll do a whole Kane Hodder post to talk about some of his other work. Yeah, totally worth it. But no, that's, I, I don't have much else to add. I think you really hit on everything. Yeah, I talked for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, what did you want to do your ratings on? Um, let's do it by... Let's do it by machetes. Let's do it by machetes. Do you want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. Let's, let's hear what you got first. And how do you want to rate this? Do you want to rate the first one, the whole franchise, the first one, then the franchise? Do you want to... How do you want to do this? I feel like the way we do it on Scare Your Pants Off, when you have a movie that spawns a franchise like we like this. By the way, Friday the 13th was not supposed to be a franchise. It was literally just supposed to be a one-off movie. As I said, it was it was inspired by uh, the success of Halloween. It was a cash grab, basically. Um, it was supposed to be Halloween meets Meatballs. If you don't know what Meatballs is, it is a, a teen sex comedy set in a summer camp. So this is supposed to be, it was supposed to be a cash grab and it was such a good cash grab that it kept going. Jason was not supposed to be an iconic movie monster villain. He was literally just supposed to be some side character in this movie. And the movie just did so well that it launched this huge franchise. So I definitely want to rate the first movie and then the franchise. I feel like that's how we do it here on Scary Pants Off. Okay. 
So I feel like for for the first movie, I'm gonna give it a seven point five machetes, which is pretty good. It's not my favorite slasher. Obviously, anybody who sure. listens knows that Michael Myers is my slasher, but. Uh, and since Jason is admittedly a ripoff of Michael Myers, I mean, I yeah. get that. And, um, and obviously, in the first one, it's not even Jason that's the killer; it's his mom. Right. Sure. And you know that alone gives it a, a higher rating than I probably would have initially because that twist is fantastic. Right. Now, as far as the franchise goes, um, that is probably not going to seem too favorable because there was a point where I feel like they should have stopped and did not. Um, not the only franchise to do that, uh, but I'm going to have to give the franchise as a whole a six and a half. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yep. All right, what about you? That's fair. So I'm going higher on the original movie um, because of that twist. I mean, M. Night Shyamalan couldn't have done a twist like this. This was the, the, well, yeah, the, Jason... it wasn't the wind. The, <laughs> the Jason's mom twist was so fantastic. Um and it did launch, it did launch this this franchise, um, which most of the movies in this franchise wouldn't even be in the feature category. They'd be in the campy category, but this original one wasn't very campy, aside from the fact that it was out of camp. Um, I'm gonna give the original movie an eight and a half, um, based purely on the fact, just that twist at the end, um, and the fact that. The creators of the movie are so open about where they got their ideas. They weren't trying to say they pitched this 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 novel new idea. This was like, hey, we borrowed from this and we borrowed from that, and we straight up stole the scene from the end of this movie. Um, but they still have the twist that none of those other movies had the twist. It wasn't like it was Michael Myers's mom, you know what I mean? And it wasn't. So it was. So the, the, the fact that it launched the franchise and the fact that they took these ideas and, and added something original to it that made it a different movie, I'm going to go eight and a half for the movie. Um, it sucks because, God, Jason's not even in the first movie. And I agree with you. There's a lot of those in-between movies that probably shouldn't have necessarily been made. They could have really done a good job condensing some of that stuff. Um, but it was, as I mentioned before, just a cash grab. So I'm going to go... I'm going to go seven and a half for the series. But it kills me because Jason is just so iconic. Any any movie series that's going to give you uh, uh, a longstanding Halloween costume like Jason, like Michael Myers, like Freddy Krueger, like Pennywise, like the characters are 10, but the series itself is a seven and a half. The movie's eight and a half. Well put. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I think that that's that. And I think that you have a family movie for us, a kid's movie. For the <coughs> little ones, it's time for the kid's scare. I do. So initially, uh, while, the cat's, while the cat's away, the mouse is absolutely playing because I stole Tom's kid's movie. <laughs> with the permission of obviously Eric whose movie it was supposed to be uh, but I I when given the opportunity I very happily stole Tom's movie because haha I meant to pick it first but didn't um so 
I'm going to talk about Nightmare Before Christmas from 1993, who has uh, Danny Elfman, Catherine O'Hara, and Paul Rubens in it. And they play uh, Jack and Sally, is played by Danny Elfman and Catherine O'Hara. And Lock, Shock, and Barrel, the three little trick-or-treat kids, are played by Paul Rubens, Catherine O'Hara, and Danny Elfman. So, and, and it's fantastic. They're, if you're interested, Google um, Catherine O'Hara, Paul Rubens, and Danny Elfman live on stage playing, uh, singing Kidnap Mr. Sandy Claus. And it is fantastic. It is absolutely perfect. The three of them, they're just dressed like themselves and not in costume. They're just up there singing. And seriously, if you love the movie the way I love the movie, you're going to love this. It's always so cool to see voice actors doing their thing. Uh, there's a lot of stuff with Seth MacFarlane. There's a lot of stuff with the cast of The Simpsons, Hank Azaria, um, uh, Dan Castanella, Julie Cavallar, all of them doing it. It's really, really neat to see just a person who looks like a guy you could run into at the grocery store and he goes to talk and Peter Griffin comes out of his face or, you know, Bart Simpson comes out of his face. It's always really, really cool. So that's actually a pretty fun uh, video to check out with those three singing that song as Lock, Stock and Barrel. Lock, Shock and Barrel. Yeah. Now, um, Danny Elfman also plays the clown with the tearaway face. And another like fun little um, tidbit about this movie, someone else that is in it, his name is William Hickey. And if you don't recognize that name, uh, that is Lewis from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. He plays, um, sorry, he plays Dr. Finkelstein. Which is funny because if you listen to it and if you're watching it, he sounds familiar and it sounds just like him. So I don't know how That's... much he altered his voice, but that's him. That's Uncle Lewis, the old guy with the cigar, right? Yeah. I always thought he sounded just like Gilbert Gottfried. Like, I wonder if that's where Gilbert Gottfried got his got his sound from. Because when he talks, he talks like... I can't do it. He talks like that. He talks... The no. gift, Bethany. The, the gift. <laughs> he does not Did sound like Gilbert Gottfried. Oh, my word. That's awful. <laughs> don't Don't say that. All right, Godfrey well, did some great voice work too. He's Iago. True, true. I'll give him that. All right. Well, okay. So, anyways, back to the Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, the movie follows Jack Skellington, who is um, the leader of Halloween Town. He is beloved by everybody there, uh, including the mayor, and he is—he's just a little tired of being the skeleton, the pumpkin king. And he's a little bored with his life. So he takes a walk after uh, like a, their Halloween night festivities. And he's walking around the graveyard and he, and he sings uh, Jack's Lament, which is one of the best songs in the movie. And you hear him say that he just feels hollow. Now, while he's walking, he uh, walks through the woods and he stumbles across a circle of trees. And they each have a holiday depicted on the door like Thanksgiving has a turkey Easter has an egg and there is a Christmas tree on one of the doors and Jack is absolutely taken by it he needs to go into the store he opens it and he, and he falls right in um when he gets there obviously we have the song uh what's this because he's seeing snow for the first time he's seeing elves everybody's happy no one's throwing heads the monsters are all missing and the nightmares can't be found. That's one of my favorite quotes ever, probably. And, you know, that's that's when this whole thing takes place. Now, he's taking this and he loves this and he decides 
that Christmas will be his. He goes back to Halloween Town and he makes a plan and he sends Lock, Shock, and Barrel to kidnap Santa Claus. Well, Santa Claus, and he calls him Sandy Claus. And at first try, they miss and they kidnap the Easter Bunny, so poor Easter Bunny, but um, eventually they do kidnap him. Sally makes his uh, outfit, despite the fact that she is not comfortable with anything that's going on. She doesn't want it to happen. But regardless, Jack persists and goes on with it. And he steals Santa Claus's hat and then goes. And he starts delivering the toys that all the citizens of Halloween Town helped him make. They are demented, awesome, creepy toys, perfect for Halloween Town kids, but not so much for the Christmas Town uh, Christmas town kids because they attack the kids and there's police reports and now christmas is ruined and then the crash landing with jack he goes back to christmas to halloween town and realizes that oogie has taken sandy claus and he now has to save him there's a great whole scene with that song and i'm gonna i've told you the whole movie so if you haven't seen it there's the movie but go watch it it's great it's perfect and you need to see it yeah, the animation is really, really, it's really, really different than a lot of things. It's not like a cartoon. It's it's stop motion animation. And um, it's really, really creative. Um, <clears throat> obviously, you know, it's it's dark for a children's film, but it's not scary dark. There's scary themes. Um, I think that Oogie Boogie is one of the coolest Disney villains. Um um, and also a pretty fantastic plus-size Halloween costume, which, you know, it's not such a bad thing either. Um, we don't, us big, uh, us big guys don't always get the best choices for Halloween costumes. Oogie's a pretty good Halloween costume. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, it's, it's, it's really creative. It's not really like any other movie. Um, I typically don't like movies that sing a lot, but these songs and these movies are earworms. I mean, they absolutely get in your head and you'll find yourself doing the dishes going and you definitely you know it, it's absolutely just a magical really really cool movie i agree so have you got anything else for me no i think that does it um i think we we, we wrapped up these movies pretty tight all right well um in that case thanks for joining us we appreciate it uh be sure to tune in next week when The Exorcist is on the big Ooh. screen, right? Until then, sweet dreams. Take care, guys. Bye. Danny Elfman plays Locke, and Paul Rubens plays Barrel. I totally screwed that up, but that's my own fault. I'm too that's excited. Fine. You can edit that. <laughs> oh.